0: Before we get started tonight, let me read you a passage of Scripture. It doesn't have anything to do with the sermon, but I do want to encourage you in an area. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says this Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now obviously you read those verses and most of the time a preacher's reference is made to the fact that we are not to miss church and it would seem fitting that on a Super Bowl Sunday I would read this passage, but that's not at all what I want to talk to you about. I want you to know that this world is hard on Christians and we face a lot of trials and valleys and we don't have support outside these walls that we can really rely on. And so often us Christians be- feel that we're uh, almost cavalier in our endeavors, like we have to face this world alone, like we're an army of one, but you don't have to be. See, Hebrews 10, That just as much emphasis is on your church attendance, but so, equally so, there is an emphasis on what the church's purpose is in your life. I am here, and the senior pastor is here, and our teachers are here, and the person sitting to your left and to your right are here to provoke you, to encourage you. Now a lot of Baptist churches provoke in the wrong way, like, you looking at me wrong son? <laughs> That's how a lot of Baptist churches, especially us independent fundamentals, uh, approach that, but we are to encourage and help and edify. And So often when you're going through tough times, it's easy to become a turtle and just go inside your shell. Then your church attendance suffers and your Christian walk suffers. But that's the time you need to get deeper into the Word of God and become more faithful in your church attendance because that's what we're here for. You yeah, you'd never appreciate the view from the mountaintop unless you were looking up from the valley. And so I really hope that you know, and it would break my heart to know that we are failing as a church by not helping people through difficult times. We always have them, and you'll have them. If you're not going through one now, you will. And if you're not just going through one now or you're not heading into one, it will come. I want you to know you don't have to face it alone. That's what we're here for. And that's off topic tonight. I'm not talking about that, but it breaks my heart when I hear of people who, uh, through different circumstances, just had to face valleys on their own. And uh, I hope that you never have to do that. Know that we're here for you. with the. Uh, immense amount of resources we have this day and age with books and, and uh, text messages and emails and phone calls with all those resources surely we can find some time to help one another through this thing called life. Well, enough of my preaching tonight. Now I'm going to teach to you. <laughs> if you believe that, you're crazy. First Kings chapter 17 tonight. First Kings chapter 17. It's good to see some new faces. Just to let you know we're glad to be. Uh, to have this evening with you. We're glad to be a part of your evening, and hopefully this will be a benefit and a blessing to you in some way. First Kings chapter 17, the Bible says, and we'll start reading in verse number 8, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. She said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me after... Uh, and after, make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. She went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and, and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruse of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah." And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. She said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the, child da- uh, took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in, is in thy, in thy mouth is truth. Let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord's blessing upon the sermon tonight. Lord, we've read your word, and there is so much here in this passage, by no means do I think that I could even begin to preach it as effectively as your word has already preached it. Lord, there's so much that I couldn't even begin to explain or describe, but I pray that you give me a specific direction to head down tonight, Lord, and I pray that it would speak directly to each and every heart who's willing to listen. Break through the hearts of stone of those who may be more focused on other things tonight, but Lord, please, I pray that you do do a work in my heart first. Lord, use me in a way that would be quite awesome to see, and Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of every person in here so that we can receive a blessing from you. I pray that you do this in the name and the power of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I recently read a story of, uh, it seems kind of fitting tonight because of the Super Bowl. But I read a story of Roger Staubach. He was the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys back when old Tom Landry was the coach, and those were the glory days. Most people would like to call it when the Cowboys won and they didn't have to deal with Jerry Jones. But they're the glory days, nonetheless. And, and old Roger Staubach, tremendous quarterback. He played for Navy in college and. He uh, won the Heisman his senior year. He came into the draft and was the Cowboys quarterback, not immediately, but several years later. Actually, a quarterback in the 1971 season started in front of uh, of old Roger Staubach, and then by, I think, the sixth or seventh game, Roger Staubach took over uh, the quarterback position. Now, even though he was a Heisman winner, Tom Landry, and most people would consider him a football genius, revolutionized the sport, came up with tremendous uh, formations and, and plays and route concepts that had not been in the game up until that point. And so Tom Landry was considered by most a genius. But in 1971, uh, old uh, Roger Staubach took over the quarterback duties of the Cowboys, and they found themselves in the Super Bowl. And in fact, in 1971, they won the Super Bowl as they began to talk a little bit about everything that went on, and the interviewers were beginning to uh, interview Roger Staubach after the fact, they said, now, Roger, what is it? You're brand new out of college. What, what is it that is so awesome about playing for Tom Landry? What's it like? And he said, I'll tell you. At first, it was very, very difficult, and they were kind of surprised by the answer, considering they had just had so much success, and, and Tom Land- or Roger Staubach began to describe to them that Tom Landry never one time allowed Roger Staubach to call his own play or to make a decision on the field. Every single decision was made from Tom Landry, sent into the huddle, and he told him when to run, when to pass, and he only gave him an option to change the play in emergency situations, and he said that you better be right when you do. Well, we all know the end, how they were so tremendously successful, and obviously the relationship between Roger Staubach and and Tom Landry worked out. But this is what Roger Staubach went on to say after he he actually uh, admitted to the reporter that it was his pride that had gotten in the way. He said, and I quote, I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. See, we've already taken the offering. It's done. We've been preaching now four weeks, the principles of stewardship, trying to get you in a right place to find out what God's will is for you to give. We've been preaching on how you are to manage your money, not so that money can have you, but so that you can have money to serve God with. And we've been preaching that now on four weeks, and this is the fifth week we've been preaching that message. Did you obey? Now, I am a firm believer, and you can ask the teenagers this, I don't believe God has ever hid his will from anybody who is truly seeking it. You ever get into your car on a a really cold morning, maybe it misted overnight or the dew fell on your car and and it froze, and it's very rare that it happens here in Texas, but uh, you go out just like any other morning, if it's me, I'm running late somewhere and I've got to get there and nine minutes, and I have approximately five to get there. And so uh, I'm always running late. So I go out in my truck, and I get in the truck, and I turn on the key, and I realize that my windows are so iced over, I can see blurs, and I can see colors, but there's no way I could drive my vehicle in that. See, that's the way a lot of us view God's will. Blurry. Almost like it's uh, somewhat understandable, but very rarely attainable. But see, I believe with my whole heart that God never hid His will from Abraham. God never hid, uh, uh, hid His will from uh, the likes of Jonah or any, anybody else in the Bible. When God's word came unto them, it's quite clear and concise what they were to do. So my, my belief is tonight, if you truly sought God's will for this offering, you know whether you obeyed or not. So tonight, all I want to talk to you about is this. What happens... When you do obey God, I mean, if you ponied up and you did exactly what God wanted you to do, what happens now? Well, I want to show you from the life of this widow here what does happen. First of all, I want you to notice a command announced. Verse number nine. Look at this. The Bible says, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonas, uh, or I'm sorry, Elijah, saying. "...arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there." And now notice, "...behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee." I'm no English major, or by any means do I even consider to be good myself to be good at grammar. But the Bible does say there that God says, "...I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee." Now, y'all help me, since I'm not very good at English... What tense is that word have in? Past. Now, God had already commanded her. Don't be confused tonight. Elijah was not delivering God's word unto her like it was some new revelation. God says, uh, Elijah, go, because I've already got it all figured out. As Elijah arrives, you see he meets this woman, and he says, I need you to go get me a, and I'll change the wordage here, but he says, I need you to go get me a glass of water. And the woman was prepared to do exactly what Elijah said. We're going to get over that Joan and Elijah thing here pretty quick. They both got J's in their name, and I don't know what's going on. Maybe I'm thinking about the Super Bowl. I don't know what's going on, but it is Elijah. Elijah is the only one in 1 Kings chapter 17. Jonah's not mentioned at all, so we're very clear on that. But as Elijah comes to the widow lady, he says, I need a cup of water. You notice how she doesn't say, well, I'm busy. I wonder why. It's because God had already told her the command, and she was comfortable with the command that Jonah... Really? (laughs) Everybody bow your head, close your eyes, we'll uh, be... (laughs) She was comfortable with the command that Elijah had given her because that did not inconvenience her that much. But I want you to notice this about commands of God in our life. First of all, it may interrupt your plans. Look at verse number 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. Now I want you to notice God's timing on this whole thing. God had such a plan. Does anybody remember how many sticks the lady's picking up? Two. Now, if I'm going to go pick up sticks, it don't take very long to pick up two sticks, does it? So God's plan was so perfect in the life of Elijah and probably even in Jonah's life as well, but not necessarily in this passage. But God's plan was so perfect that this woman bent down to pick up her first stick, and somewhere between finding her first stick and her second stick, Elijah shows up on the scene. God's plan was perfect, perfectly timed, perfectly planned out. And he comes to her and he says, I need you to you give me some water. I also need you to uh, uh, get me something to, to eat. Well, see, she had already had her plan set out. What was her plan to get sticks, bake the cake, feed her child and die. And Elijah catches her right in between stick one and stick two. And it's almost like, Elijah, why don't you go find somebody else to get you some water? I'm busy, about to die. But she understood that God's plan may just somewhat interrupt her plans. The other day I was driving down the road and going down 917, turned there on Thousand Oaks where my dad lives, and I... Turn into his house. And when I turned on Thousand Oaks, I noticed a, uh, some uh, sirens and some lights were kind of back behind me. And so I turned off on Thousand Oaks there. And, and uh, it was no big deal uh, because I, I thought they were just going to keep heading down 917. Well, as I turned on Thousand Oaks and I got about halfway down, I realized he turned down Thousand Oaks as well. And there was a car between me and the lights. And so I. Well, I had already planned to go to my dad's house anyway. I had some work I had to get done over there. And so I turned into my dad's driveway, and right behind me, this sheriff goes, he turns on his sirens and does like a unique, like a, I don't know how to do it. That's not a very good impression, I know. But he's like, hey, I'm chasing you, Jack. That's basically, he, he yelled that out over his speaker. But he pulls in right behind me in my dad's driveway, and I have plans, I've got stuff I've got to get done, and he... Comes up, actually stayed in his car for a really long time. I think he thought I was trying to hide from him, like go in behind Dad's house, and stayed in his car. I saw him calling my stuff in and got you know typing my license plate in, and he comes to my window. And says, Sir, uh, my name is so and so with the sheriff's department. I said, first of all, I want to make one thing clear. I was not running from you. My father lives here, and I was coming over here to work on my boat. He said, oh, okay, well, that's a different story totally. And then he went on to give me a citation. appreciated that very much, so amen, amen. All right. That interrupted my plans, not only because I didn't want the citation. It also interrupted my plans because I was to go work on my boat, and he stopped me. You all know the feeling, what it's like to see them lights in your rearview mirror, and you're just hoping they're going for the guy in front of you or the guy behind you. And you say, I would never wish that bad of a day on somebody else. Don't lie to me. You've done it. Say, officer, I've been following that same blue car for the past 10 miles. we have been doing the same speed. How'd you get me? And as soon as those lights happen, it's like our plans totally change. Wherever we were heading, we have to pull off to the side and listen to what they got to say to us. A lot of the times, that's how we view God's own commands in our life. Sometimes they don't come at the right time for us. Sometimes we're late for a meeting or sometimes we're trying to get something worked out, and that's when God's word comes to us. But when God's word does come, are you going to be willing to put everything else aside and understand that the Bible says this, for My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways uh, your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I'll just add this in there. Not only are they higher than our thoughts, they're better than our thoughts. You see, we ask God to do miracles in our life, and God says, Oh, uh, call unto me, and I will show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. In other words, you can't even imagine the plans that I have for you. You picking out the very best in your life, I've got something even better for you. But it may not come at the time that we're expecting it. And it may catch us right after the Christmas holidays and right after we have to buy the plane ticket and right after we have to pay for that medical bill. It may catch us then. But are you going to be willing to put everything else aside and say, God, your plans are much better than mine, so I will listen to you? It may interrupt our plans. Secondly, it may interfere with our priorities. Look at verse number 12. Now this is where Elijah, not Jonah, has asked her to bring him the morsel of bread and and to go get him the food. Verse 12, and she said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but an handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise, and behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die put yourself in her shoes for a moment. Obviously, she's fallen on some hard times. I don't know exactly everything going on in her life, but it's obvious from the passage that she is having a difficult time with life. She has come to the fact that she is going to have to cook this final meal, and she's going to make it as good as she can for her and for her child, and they're going to die. Now, as Elijah shows up on the scene... He says, hold on, how about you make the meal for me and put your son aside? You know, bears really aren't that dangerous until you get in between them and their cubs. And women are really usually pretty nice until you get in front of them in a car where they're trying to go somewhere, or you get in between them and their child. Boy, mamas get mad real quick when you start saying something about their child. Your child bit my child in the nursery. Well, he probably deserved it. (laughs) Why was your child looking at my child? I don't know. I thought this was a free country. Not if my child doesn't want him to look at it. It's the country of my child. You see, moms can get a little crazy. You know why? Because God put that maternal instinct in them. Man, I've seen some mamas... Amy, the other day, rushed to Caitlin's aid. I mean, just knocked me out of the way, knocked over a brick wall, cinder block wall, just flipped over the Kia, we're going to have to get that fixed, and pulled Caitlin. Are you okay? Mamas have this maternal instinct that is quite phenomenal to watch. So could you imagine being Elijah right here, not Jonah, but Elijah? Could you imagine being Elijah and saying, look, this is what God wants you to do. (laughs) No, it ain't. My boy's going to eat good before you preach a man. Could you imagine being Elijah saying, Cook me a meal before you and your son. Now her priority is going to be what? Her son. Obviously, right? That's only what a good mother would do. But God had already given her command to do this. And so she's not really facing whether it's uh, Elijah's will. She's facing the fact whether it's God's will. And she, for this brief moment, has to readjust her priorities. Father and mother, tonight, I would never want you to hurt your children in any way, and obviously in a physical sense, but I would never want you to neglect your children to see something happen in in your own life, or even at this church, you know. I, I don't want you to be so busy in ministry up here at church that you never get to spend time with your children. You understand what I'm saying? And me, I have to be careful of that myself and with all the requirements of ministry. So I would never want you to neglect your own family for this church. But I will say to you tonight that the Bible makes very clear that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto us. I want you to know very clearly tonight that the Bible spells out... In Luke 14, chapter uh, chapter 14, verse 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, and yea, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I don't believe the Lord was instructing us to hate our children or to hate our parents, and quite the contrary. He was just saying, the love you have for me ought to be so uh, super above anything you have for these worldly things that it would be, in comparison, considered hatred. And sometimes our priorities get a little skewed. You know, we say, well, I want my child to have the best type of athletics and and the best type of academics, so I'm going to send my child here, and we're going to miss this much church, and we're going to do, uh, you know neglect maybe this area of service but as long as they're playing baseball in the right league I, I i want you to be very very honest with yourself what you're doing is you're hurting your child i don't care if the level of competition is so amazing in arlington and it's not here in burles i don't care what you say you're hurting your child you're neglecting your child if you're having them miss services and miss times to be around the Word of God so they can hit a little white baseball. I just believe that sometimes God's will in our life may interfere with our priorities. And our priorities may be many things, but God is clear. He ought to be number one. And when He's number one, two and three will work themselves out. A command announced, I want you to notice, secondly, a crisis articulated. Now, she does not, she was pretty okay with getting the glass of water for Elijah. Jonah didn't need water. He was in the belly of the well three days and three nights. She was very okay with doing that. But when it came to getting in between the meal and her son and her, she did somewhat have to make Uh, Elijah very aware of the situation. In verse number 13, or uh, in verse number uh, 11, and as she was, I'm sorry, verse 10, and she arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little drink of water, a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she spells this out in verse 12. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but just a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. She wanted Elijah to know exactly what he was asking her to do. Now, I don't know if she had trouble actually agreeing to the terms of Elijah's request, but when Elijah said, go bake me a cake, she said, hold on, preacher, I want you to know I don't have a lot. But Elijah says, I want you to go anyway. And he says this in verse number 13, and he is trying to get her to remove her fear The Bible says, And Elijah said unto her, Fear not. Fear not. Go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. The very first words out of Elijah's mouth were what? Fear not. I can only imagine what this lady's mind must have been at this moment. I, I know that she would want to feed her child and give her child the best, but as a mother, don't you think she would feel as somewhat of a failure that her child was depending on her for food and for shelter and, and for clothing, and she was unable to provide those things? She must be emotionally distraught as Elijah looks at her and says, I need you to make for me first and then you can make for y'all. She says, "Hold on. I don't I just don't know how it's going to work out. I don't have as much as you're thinking I have. I don't I don't have a lot. I just have barely enough for me and for my son." The very first words out of his mouth were, "Fear not." Most of the time isn't worry and fear aren't they directly linked? You know, We've known this if you've ever been in church, if you've ever heard a sermon, or you've ever read your Bible. Fear and faith are absolute opposites. They are opponents. It was fear that made the children of Israel look up at Moses and say, we can't believe you brought us out here. You only brought us out here because there were not enough graves to be buried in in Egypt. And it was faith that allowed Moses to stand up higher than the crowd and say, y'all need to stand still and see God's salvation in your own life. But they're always contrary to one another. And Elijah looks at this, this widow here, and she's saying, but I, I just don't know how it's going to work out. I, I just don't have as much as you think I have. I only have enough for me and my child. And he says, fear not. You know why? Because she was afraid. Because she was worrying that she wasn't going to be able to make ends meet. You know, there's a lot of promises in the Bible about God being able to help us and strengthen us in our time of need. God has said he will never leave us nor forsake us. In Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10, God says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's God's promise to us tonight, is that he will help us and strengthen us and uphold us. That's God's promise to you. But man, when we're in the middle of these trials like this lady right here finds herself in, sometimes it's hard to realize that. It's hard to feel God's hand around us when we are getting choked by the world. And I tell you what. At that moment, we have to be Christians and understand that the Holy Spirit of God gives us a tool that no devil in this world has. He gives us faith. It is the ability to see behind the curtain. To know that there's a grander plan awaiting you. Know that God is working for your good and for your benefit and to bless you. And it's God being such a good-natured God that you know He would never harm you in any way. That's faith. It's the ability to see God at work even though you cannot visibly see Him at work. Elijah asked for a removal of fear, but he also requests some faith. Verse 13, And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first. Bring it unto me, and after make for thee and thy son... I think she was quite clear on the amounts she had. It seemed like as she was speaking to Elijah, she was saying, I only have enough for just a little bit for me and my son. And Elijah says, no, go make for me first. And, and I can almost imagine her frustration. No, I don't think you understand. If the recipe calls for half a cup, I don't have half a cup. She said, I only have enough for two portions and they're not large. This is what Bi- uh, the Bible says in verse 14. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. Now this is what I believe happened. She went to the barrel and she saw the exact same amount she did before she left it. And she had to reach down in that burrow and pull out her last little bit to make Elijah some. And she turned around to throw it in the crock pot or the skillet or the whatever. And she looks back and there just tended to be a little bit more than she realized before. And I believe that it took faith for her to reach down and portion out enough for Elijah because it did not automatically feel. You understand what I'm saying? I think it took faith for her and Elijah almost casts this promise to her and says, "God has said that there will be enough." And she looks down. And she says, "Nope, still ain't got half a cup." And it took faith for her to believe that God could work in her life. It takes faith for us to realize that God wants to work in ours. You know, one promise the devil has gotten me on before: "You ain't good enough to have God work for you." You ever been there? Why would God take time to do something special for you? You, ain't, you don't deserve it. And the devil cast that promise to me, cast that condemnation to me, and it's only when you read the Word of God that says, Let not the rich man glory in his riches, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he knoweth me. Well, that's good. That's how you know your barrel won't fail. That's how you know there's going to be enough oil in the cruise is because God knows you. God loves you. That's good right there. If you can't get excited about that, you need to get your pulse checked. That's what I say. But I do believe that he was not only asking for her to remove her fear and requesting her to have faith. I want you to notice in verse 16, a reward of food. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. I can only imagine her almost disbelief when Elijah gave that promise to her. No, you don't understand. God's going to take care of it. Well, it doesn't seem like he is right now, Elijah. And I can almost hear her as she, I don't know, with with apprehension goes to the barrel. And goes to the cruise to make enough for Elijah. But nonetheless, God delivers on his promise. But I want you to notice this. What does God give her? Exactly what she needed. You know, it would have been silly for her to look down and find some gold in the bottom of that barrel. That wouldn't have helped her. You see what I'm saying? God gave her exactly what she needed. For a guy that's been stranded on an island for weeks and he has no water, you know what's the most important thing to him? You know what he'd give his life savings for? You know what he would give anything in the world for? A glass of water. And this woman's most pressing and urgent need at this moment was not some riches, was not some life insurance policy. It was food. And God delivered on that promise. Now, I hope that in this offering, you... You did stretch yourself. I mean, I hope that you gave so much that maybe you're just a little bit uncomfortable with how you're going to make it work tomorrow. I hope that's what you did. You know why? Because it's at that moment when God gives you exactly what you need. This lesson is illustrated to us when God teaches the children of Israel that they're going to wake up in the morning and have this special food on the ground. They're going to have to wake up, and they're going to have what we call angel food, as, as if that's exactly what the angels eat, manna. It, no, they're probably eating ribeyes, to be honest with you. If you're in heaven, why would you settle for manna? But they, they're they going to wake up in the morning. There's going to be manna on the ground. And what was the instructions? The, what were the instructions? That sounded a little bit of redneck. I sound a little redneck every once in a while. I say ain't a lot, and I don't use proper verb tenses. I'm sorry about that, but... The instructions were this. When you wake up in the morning, you go outside. You're going to see this food on the ground. It's going to taste good. It's going to taste exactly like you want it to taste. It's going to be exactly what you need. I had a friend in college. He was making this video for his girlfriend because he was a moron, and he was trying to impress her, and he said, God gave the children of Israel exactly what they needed. It had the right protein. It had the right fat content. And I'm like, since when in your Bible did you see the nutritional value of manna listed out? But it was exactly what they needed. But this was the instructions. You go out and you gather exactly what you need for today. And you trust me for tomorrow. And if you gather more than you need for today, you know what you're going to do? You're going to wake up in the morning, it's going to have worms in it, it's not going to be any good. I'll give you exactly what you need if you can trust me. That's the lesson. The lesson was, that lady did not go to her barrel, and because she had intention to cook something for Elijah, the barrel was automatically full. No, the lesson is, God will bless with exactly what you need. We as Americans are so absurdly focused on abundance, it is ridiculous. I mean, we just want the extra comma in our bank account to have the extra comma. It really wouldn't do us any good if we had it. We want the extra digit in our payroll and our salary just so we can say we make six figures when in reality, we don't need six figures to live. We just want it. God wants us to be content with such things as we have, and he will provide exactly what we need. And in fact, that's what the verse, when it says, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's talking about your clothing. That's talking about your food. That's talking about your wealth. You seek first the kingdom of God, all that other stuff, it'll fall right in line. You know why? Because God always gives exactly what you need. He rewarded her with the one thing that she needed most at the time, and that was a reward of food. I want you to notice finally we're almost done. The score is, I'm just kidding, I don't even know, a confusing appreciation. Now please pay attention to this, because this directly applies to any person who followed God for what they they felt like God wanted them to give in this offering. A confusing appreciation. Verse 17 says, And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. She said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee? O thou man of God, art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Would you not agree with me it took a lot of faith for this woman to trust Elijah? took a lot of faith for her to trust Elijah and to trust God in this situation. In fact, I would say that she demonstrates a level of faith that not a lot of us would be willing to demonstrate. Yeah. And she is a hero in this story. Let me ask you a question. Then why is she treated like a villain? She does something that's so profoundly amazing It makes me awe and almost envious at the amount of faith she displays. Then why not two verses later she's struck with something? Almost unfair, doesn't it seem? It almost seems like God doesn't treat her the way that she ought to be treated because she did exactly what God wanted her to do. I want you to notice her difficult circumstance. Verse 18, she's hit with this and... And she comes to Elijah and she says, I treated you exactly how you asked to be treated. I gave you exactly what you wanted. I, I did everything God said. Why am I facing this? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, that ye may cho- be children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to sh- his sun to shine, to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Don't think that if you obeyed God in this offering, you have bought Him off with some trial in your life. Don't think that He's just going to remove things from your life. You say, well, I've been, me and the wife have been having problems, and I'm banking that this offering is going to help us. No, no, no! What if God is using those circumstances in your life to not only test you and try you financially, but to try you with your faith? It almost seems confusing that this woman could have so much faith and then all of a sudden be met with a problem. Why? Isn't that the question we always ask? That's the question we always ask. Why, God? Why would you do that to me? Why, God, I'm trying to do everything like you want me to do it. And I'll tell you what, Job probably thought the same thing. In fact, a man who is described as perfect is hit with arguably the greatest trial ever witnessed in the Word of God. Did he deserve that? Oh, I don't think so. But did he bring God glory more so than a lot of people in the Word of God ever could? Yes, he did. Maybe that's what God wants from you. You say, well, I want this offering to kind of give me a break, if you will. Maybe... By you trusting God, not only with your wallet, but also with your walk, maybe you can glorify Him in a way that you're not familiar with. Maybe you can bring glory to Him and and you say, God, even in this difficult circumstance, I'll still trust you. When Christ came, He did not come in the lap of luxury. He did not come to walk the easy street. Christ came and walked the most difficult walk that anybody has ever walked someone who was perfect, someone who was altogether lovely and holy, absolutely the perfect man, someone who had the ability to know what was going to happen and know what was in other people's minds and know everything, someone who had all powers that God has wrapped up in human flesh, that man, if he had problems, I think me and you can expect them as well. And I'm not saying that he had problems in that area. I'm saying he faced difficult circumstances. If he faced them, so will we. Difficult circumstances. They're coming, I promise. I want you to notice what she did so well. She had a deferred control. In verse 19, she realized it was out of her hands, so she put it in someone's hands who could help her. And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom. I'm sure she's mourning. I'm sure she's struggling right now. At this moment, she's probably not thinking much about Christianity. You know what I mean? It's hard to think about Christianity when we're in the middle of that valley. We want to walk the good walk and want to be a witness to everybody. But when you're holding your dead child, that's pretty far in the back of your mind at that moment. And Elijah looks at her and says, give him to me. And Elijah reaches for that child and begins to pull him away. And instead of grabbing at this child in bitterness and in rage, she lets it go and gives her son to someone who could help. She demonstrates every bit as much faith right here as she did with the meal and the cruise of oil. You say, what other options did she have? Maybe not many. But faith does not require you to. Uh, Demonstrate some level of faith where you can see an avenue of escape, but then give it to God. No, faith is demonstrated a lot of times when you're out of options. Hey, there was no turning back at the Red Sea. There was no going right. There was no going left. They were trapped. They were in, the Bible calls it, a great strait, And they were at the end of their rope, and they said, we'll give it to God. Well, really, Moses said that. Faith is not always demonstrated when you can do something. It's demonstrated oftentimes when we're completely out of control. 1 Peter 5, verse 7 says, Casting all your cares upon Him. And if we could only get that part down, if we could just give Him all of our worries and all of our heartaches and all of our struggles and all of our difficulties, if we could just give Him all our concerns and say, God, I give it to you. But that's not the end of the verse, is it? Why do we cast all of our cares upon Him? Because we know He careth for our soul. You know the reason He's trustworthy? Because He wants nothing but good for you. You can trust Him because He is kind. He is gracious. He is loving. He is compassionate. You can trust Him. Now, Caitlin's homesick tonight. She is struggling with uh, the croup. The second time she's had it, probably in maybe two months, and I'll tell you what, that, that stuff's rough to watch your child go through that. I'm sure it's rough to watch your child go through anything, but man, the way she sounds like a bass singer in a male quartet, she coughs and she cries and it's like, like a dying animal. It's terrible. I can't handle it. She's home tonight and Amy's with her and be honest with you, Amy's faking so she could watch the Super Bowl. I told her I'd trade places with her, and I'd just give her my sermon. She could preach it, but she didn't want to do that. Caitlin's favorite toy is a little tyke's car. In fact, today she was feeling so bad that I could hand her anything. She has a mini Mouse that Brother Sean Ogby gave her, and uh, that usually helps. That wasn't helping today. I took her over to her slide. She likes sliding down. I put her on top, and and I waited at the bottom. I said, come on, Caitlin. She's crying. And she pushed herself down and got in my arms, and she started crying again. I said, Caitlin, you want your car? I took her over, and I opened the door. And as soon as I opened the door, she stopped crying. I put her in that car, and the tears fell from her face that were already existent, but she had stopped crying. I began to drive her around, and she puts her hands on the steering wheel, and I've got the top, and in fact, there's a dad handle, that's what I call it, there's a handle cut out, but it's too big for a woman's hand, it fits my hand perfectly, women were never meant to drive those cars, you teach them bad habits early, dad drives it, and I put her in there, and I make all the sound effects with my mouth, you know, you do that, like you're, you're peeling out at two miles an hour, right, the, he's shifting gears, right, right, that's, and you slide, you do the little burnout there around the island in the kitchen, man. She's just having herself a good old time. At first, she didn't grab the steering wheel, but you know what? After we went on a little bit, you know what she did? Even though she's so upset, she put her hands on the steering wheel. Occasionally, she'd hit that little squeaky horn. It sounds a little bit more masculine than a lot of horns now. It's like, and she hit that. And uh, she was finally enjoying herself. It was the only thing that would console her. Now, I really don't know why she reaches for the wheel, because she don't have a bit of control. You know who's in control? Dad. It doesn't matter if she cuts those wheels right, they're going where I tell them to go. It doesn't matter if she tells it stop, she don't have any control. You know who's in control? Dad. A lot of times what happens is we put our, wheels, our hands on the wheel thinking we are in control. The whole time, Dad's got the car. It doesn't matter. Even on those days when we feel bad, we reach up there with our hands and we say, Oh, we got it. We got it. I, I see a way out. And the whole time it's almost insulting to the Father in heaven when he says, I've got you. You know what's funny? Is I don't get to see Caitlin's face, or face because I'm up above her. I can't see through the, through the top of the car. I'm driving her, I'm driving her, and Amy gets to see the face. But you know what? If I can't see her, you know what that means? She can't see me either. A lot of times, you there's no way you could see God working in your life. Does, does that mean he still doesn't have control of the car? Oh, well, absolutely not. And you may put your hands on the wheel, and you may even honk your horn, but at the end of the day, Dad's got you. Amen. You know what's going to happen if you obeyed God in this offering? Dad's got you. If you stretched your faith to the point where you're uncomfortable, don't worry. Dad has got you. And the reason you can give so out of control, so haphazardly, so so flippantly, just say, God, I'll give you everything. You know why you can do that? Because God is in control.